we're going to learn about the parsha. The name of the parsha is Vaigash, and we're going to learn about Joseph during the famine. How Joseph fed the people of Egypt and Jacob. The famine ended up. I mean, Joseph predicted the famine would be for seven years. End up to be only for two years because when Jacob came down to Egypt and he gave a blessing to Pharaoh that the water will actually come up to him from the Nile River and the water started to, to pour uh, the, the water, the, the land, the water of the Nile River started to water the land and things got turned around. But the, for, for two years, it was a famine. Then what we're going to learn today, how Joseph handled the Jewish, pe the, the Jewish people, I mean his family, as well as Egypt, when it, about the famine. How handled the rollout of the vaccine. How organized was this project? That was the question. Then um, we will start with the, with the source number one. Um, Karen, you want to read it? I don't hear you, you have to unmute yourself. I jam it. And Joseph said his fathers and his brothers and gave him an estate in the best part of the land in the Ramses region, as Pharaoh had commanded Joseph, as Pharaoh had commanded. Joseph provided all the needs of his fathers, his brothers, and all his father's family down to the very youngest. Okay, here we learn that Joseph, his family came down from Israel because of the famine, and Joseph provided them with everything. What does this mean? Why the Torah is pointing out so clear? First of all, because that's what happened, but more than that, Remember, his brothers wanted to kill him. They threw him into a pit, he should die there. And he not only didn't hold a grudge, like every good American is holding grudges from 20 years ago, not only he, did, he, he paid them good with bad. They wanted to kill him and he saved their lives and the children and the grandchildren. And he gave them a much for the youngest. Rashi points out why the youngest, because young children, they eat a little bit and the, and the rest is all over the floor. Then you need much more food. What goes into the mouth and what is actually is, is much less than what, what you give them. He gave them enough for everything, even for the children to, to waste, so to speak. Now, and then the same thing, he, he fed the old people in Egypt. He gave them according to, to uh, he, the people in Egypt had to pay money and they bought the food. What happened was, the Joseph told everybody in Egypt to store food in the seven years of plenty for the seven years of uh, starvation, of the famine. And everybody stored food, but the food that everybody all stored spoiled, got rotten. The food, the only the food that Joseph uh, um, uh, stored, only this food didn't get rotten, was fresh, was able, you, they were able to eat it. Then the Jewish people came, the people of Egypt came to Pharaoh and told them, feed us. He told them, go to Pharaoh, whatever he will tell go to Joseph. Whatever Joseph will tell you, you'll do. Because only his food did not rotten. They went, they, first of all, they bought food, uh, they bought the bread from, by money. And when they ran out of money, he took their lands. And when they finished off the land, they became themselves, themselves slaves to the government, to Pharaoh. Everything to get food, like every human being would do. With one exception, the priest. 
Okay, nobody want to read the uh, source number two. The only land he did not buy up was that of the Kohanim, since the Kohanim had an allotment from Pharaoh. They ate the allotment that Pharaoh gave them and did not have to sell the land. Whoa. <laughs> he wants to learn Torah, your dog. Um, the only one, the, it says the only, the exception was the Kohens. The Kohens, we are not talking about the Jewish Kohens. The Kohanim are the priests. The priest of Egypt, the priest of the idol worshiping houses in Egypt, the clergy in Egypt got a special pass. Pharaoh did, um, um, Joseph did not took away from them the land. He gave them, they got an allotment from the government. He fed them, they didn't have to, they got a special, they were on a special program, they got food no matter what. The clergy in Egypt was treated differently. They got a special, a special uh, treatment. I asked a question because this is exactly what was I was going to ask you. It's like uh, when I was reading about it, I was saying how if you didn't put if you, you're supposed to put your soil in it and it's supposed to keep it from from spoiling and everything. If he told everybody and he had this prophecy that they were supposed to have, you know, seven years of plenty and seven years of and they everybody stored it away. Why was it then spoiling? Why was his the only one that was not spoiled? That was my question. Because God protected, uh, gave him a special blessing and his food didn't spoil. And everybody else spoiled. Maybe the first year it didn't spoil, by the second year by the, it was already spoiling. Didn't that and, impact though then their faith in him because it, he told them to, it'll be okay and if you save it. Uh, that's a good question. Maybe it affected, but the bottom line is it made, them, made everybody more dependent on Joseph and made Pharaoh treat the family of Joseph better because everybody needed them. And the whole goal was to bring the Jews to Egypt and to save them there. Okay, and, and then the circumcision part, you'll probably get to, but that, was he trying to convert them or was he just- He didn't try trying... to convert them. He, try, he just tried to make, um, there is two explanations, but it's not so connected to this issue. Then I don't okay. want to confuse Okay, them. it was all part of that part, Shepa. Okay, go ahead. Yes. All, all right. right, thank you. Thank you. No problem. Um, Okay, uh, Julie Leisman, you want to read it? The Kohanim. The Kohanim, meaning the priest, the word Kohen always refers to a servant of a deity, except those that refer to a high rank as in Kohen Midian, the chief of Midian, or Kohen On, the chief of On. The Kohanim had an allotment, an allotted portion of bread per day. That means the Kohanim is the leaders of the Jewish people. And, uh, and uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Kohanim is the clergy, the important people of Egypt. They were the one, were idol worshippers, and, and Joseph took care of them. Now, here comes the discussion of the Rebbe. Let's start with this. Uh, Debbie, you want to read? Debbie Slayda, you want to read? The third portion of Parshat Vitzot Habracha. Okay, we'll stop for a minute. I'm sorry. We are, this, the talk was given on the last parsha of the Torah. The Zotabacha is the end of the, of the book of Deuteronomy. There, Moses gives a blessing to all the 12 tribes. Then in their blessing, when he gives to Joseph, there is something that throws us back all the way to this parsha. It's because about Joseph and re refers to what Joseph happened in his life. Go ahead, continue. Recounts the blessings of Moses to the tribe of Joseph. And of Joseph, he said... His land shall be blessed by God with the sweetness of the heavens dew and the waters that lie below. 
One of the unique elements of this blessing is that it incorporates a mention, a mention of heaven, representing spirituality, along with a mention of below, representing a lower material reality. It means, and here he says, in the blessing that Moses gives to the tribe of Joseph, he says you should be blessed from above, from heaven, from the highest to the lowest. It means he combined, he points out that Joseph had a connection with the highest and the lowest. Continue. This blessing clearly suits Joseph. Just as earlier in the Torah, when Jacob blessed his 12 sons, the Torah says that each blessing suited the unique spiritual, spiritual character of the son. He blessed them each according to their blessing. Why did it suit Joseph? Because on one hand, he sustained and supported Jacob and all his children. When they were in Canaan, jo Jacob heard that food was available in Egypt and set his, his sons to procure provisions for the family. And later, when the entire family came down to Egypt, he continued to support them. As the Torah says, Joseph provided all the needs of his father, his brothers, and all his family, father's family. This sustenance is represented in the word heaven, the spiritual element of his blessing. Then he says the, the blessing that Moses gives Joseph really describes how Joseph handled the crisis in Egypt. That on one end, he was feeding his family from heaven. means the highest type of people at that time, the connected people to God, especially Jacob himself with his family, the, the Jewish people at that time. He fed them and he took care of them. When they came down to Egypt, he put them in Goshen. On the other hand, um, Leah, you want to continue? At the same time, I don't mean, sorry. At the same time, Joseph was the primary provider for the entire Egypt. Egyptian society was considered the most depraved of its time. Torah calls it the nakedness of the land. They were the polar opposite of Joseph, who was called Joseph the Righteous for protecting his covenant. Nonetheless, Joseph sustained Egypt as well. He even supported the priests of Egypt and made the, an effort to maintain their dignity. They were not asked to sell their land, notwithstanding the fact that they represented everything Joseph despised. This he represented in the below in Joseph's blessing. Okay, what is going on here is like this. Joseph, who was Joseph? Joseph was representing Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham's message was to believe in one God, totally against idol worshiping. The, the clergy in Egypt, they were the professionals. They promoted idol worshiping. The Joseph, and Joseph here is providing them, gives them special treatment. Not only he gives them food according to, as, if they pay money, he says, you get your, your, your peace from the government. You don't have to pay. You don't have to sell your land. You don't have to be considered slaves. He treats them better than the regular Egyptian. First of all, Egypt was a, the lowest of the lowest. Egypt was the Las Vegas of the world. And I don't want to insult Las Vegas. I just want to, I'm looking for an example. But, but in, in, in Egypt itself, they were the opposite of what Joseph believed in. And still Joseph gave them special treatment. He treated them in a better way. They, won't, they did not have to sell the land. They did not have to become slaves. Then the Rebbe's question is in the next line. Leia, finish this line. Now this poses the question, who taught Joseph to behave in this manner? <laughs> who taught Joseph to be so kind to people who are sinners, who are representing everything against God? 
he could tell the he could tell the clergy in Egypt, you are just like everybody else. See, Joseph was the ruler. Everybody needed him. Pharaoh was basically afraid of him. You know, sometimes you see it in history that the king or the, the prime minister or the president is the president, or there is some very strong person in the government that even the president is afraid of him because he knows a secret about them because he can get them in trouble. Here is the same thing. The question is, why was why was a, a, a Joseph was so strong? He could tell the he could tell the clergy, no, you are just like I'm treating you like everybody else. Why gave him such a special treatment? That's the question. Such a nice treatment. Now we learn something about going back for to understand the explanation. We need to learn a little bit from the book of Bereshit, right from the beginning, from the first parsha of the Torah. Um, Alan Friedman, you want to read the source number three? I don't hear you. You have to unmute yourself. God took him and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch it and to watch it. God gave the man a commandment saying, you may definitely eat from every tree of the garden, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, do not eat for once a day you eat from, from it, you will certainly die. Okay. Uh, okay, I'm sorry, continue. I'm, I'll mute yourself and continue. The woman was good to eat, it is to the eye. And then the tree was attractive as, as a means to gain intelligence. She took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband and he ate it. The eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. They threw together fig leaves and made themselves a lion clothing. Okay, uh, a lion clothing. Okay, we, what you see is, is the story here is the, the story that all of us know. God put Adam and Eve in the, in the, in the Garden of Eden. They ate from the, he told them, do eat, eat from any tree you want. Just on the tree of knowledge, do not eat. They, cannot, they couldn't control themselves for three hours. The woman decided to eat from it, and she made sure her husband eats too. If, because look, God told Adam, if you eat on the tree of knowledge, on this day you'll die. The day you'll die. Then, actually it never happened, but we'll talk about it in a minute. The woman saw it, she decided she loved the food. It looked very good on the, in the store, it looked amazing. She needed to buy it, she needed to eat it. Then she gave her husband two to make sure if he, she dies, he dies with her, he's not going to live without her. Obviously, that goes without saying. And, and then they realize that they are naked. One means they realize that they are naked. They, until then, they were so innocent, so pure, they didn't understand that nakedness is a problem. Like a little child who runs around naked is not embarrassed because he doesn't understand that something is wrong with it. The same thing is uh, the Adam and Eve before the, before they had the tree of knowledge. They didn't realize there is something bad. Later, they, 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 they realized that they made themselves kind of clothing, not clothing uh, from uh, fig leaves. That's a story that we all know, right? Okay, uh, Debbie Klatzman, you want to read source number four? I don't hear you. Unmute yourself, Debbie. Unmute yourself. Now, now we are you. Okay, sorry. They heard God's voice moving about in the garden with the wind of the day, 
The man and his wife hid themselves from God among the trees of the garden. God called to the man and he said, where are you? Where are you? He knew where Adam was. It was only to engage in conversation with him so that he is not frightened to answer if he would have punished him suddenly. Okay, let's stop right here. God, what God did, really, when he ate from the tree of knowledge, he had to die, right? That's what God told them, clearly. First of all, he didn't die. He lived to be, he lived another, he lived to be 930 years old. He didn't die the day, the day, the day. He deserved that. The concept of death was created the day that he ate on the tree of knowledge, that eventually he will die. But God gave him a big chance. Not only this, God didn't throw him out on the, from the Garden of Eden. The first thing God came and, and he was hiding, God is asking him, where are you, Adam? And Rashi says, why well, ask him, where are you? Not to scare him. That was very nice to him. Then there is another explanation. Well, uh, somebody explains what Rashi meant. Read the next explanation, Debbie. You want me to go on? Yeah. To engage, mm -hmm. meaning God did so for Adam's benefit. If Adam is not frightened, he might admit that he sinned and then repent. Okay. He explains why God told him, Ayeka, where are you? God wanted to give Adam the chance to repent, to say, I'm sorry. I didn't know, I, did, I made a mistake. Please, God, forgive me. That God didn't throw him out in the Garden of Eden. God didn't kill him. God turned to him and he said, gave him start a conversation. Maybe he will recognize his sin. Gave him a chance to recognize his sin. Okay, Nancy, you want to continue? God made leather garments for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. He drove away the man and stationed the cherubim at the east of Eden, along with the revolving sword blade, to guard the path of the tree of life. What God did, God made for Adam and Eve clothing. Before he threw them out from the Garden of Eden, God took, took care of them. They were supposed to die the day, the minute that they, they eat, the day they eat. They didn't die. Not only they didn't die, he tried to give them a chance to do tshuva. He didn't repent. He didn't say, I'm sorry. Still, even when he didn't say, I'm sorry, God took care of him. He gave, made them clothing. The only thing that God made for human beings by himself was clothing. Not food, clothing. That we see how important clothing is. That's a, a side note. Yeah, go ahead. I have a question. If Adam and Eve had not eaten from the tree, would, would, still be would, would we have gone on being innocent? Yes. <laughs> or was this, in fact, maybe part of the plan? But maybe part of the plan, but God gave Adam and Eve the chance to live forever and to be righteous, innocent, yes. He gave them the chance. They chose to go the wrong way, and it was part of the plan, but God gave the chance to human beings. Why God did it? Because God wanted to show, people would say, if you would just be innocent, everything would be good. If you would just be righteous, if God says, Iris, I gave you the chance and you messed it up. Don't tell me if you just, if you just. Or did he want people to have the opportunity to make a choice? Absolutely. And, God wanted and to if you do the wrong choice to repent in exactly. some way. Exactly. God wanted to, Adam really created the concept of repenting. Of making him eventually repented, but eventually God wanted the, the, a human being should have the choice to do right and wrong. If he made wrong, he has a chance to repent. And because we always go around in the world, we say, 
If we would just have the splitting of the sea, I would believe in God. If we would just, if I would just win the lottery, I would be so righteous. If I would just do this, I would do this. God already in history showed everything that people had the lottery and people had this and they had a perfect world and they still chose to be bad. And nobody should say if we just this, this. Okay, Julie Leisman, what's your question? So I have a question. So regarding that God made leather garments for Adam and his wife and he clothed them and then he drove them away and sent them out of the garden. So in the garden, not only were they innocent, but they were also vegetarian. So by providing them with leather garments, was it also God's way of showing them that they did have dominion over the animals and sh sort of showing them something that they maybe wouldn't have thought of on their own? Like how would they have known to like kill a beast and use its leather for clothing? Who, who said that the killer beast could be the beast died and they took from the, 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 the dead beast, they took the skin. It doesn't mean that to kill him. I guess my question is how would they have known that to use the leather Obviously, God did it. That's something that they did. The first set of clothing, and they didn't do it. God made it for them. God created Adam and Eve. He can create a set of a, of pair of, 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 of pants. Right. I guess but, what I'm showing. I guess what I'm saying is that God showed them the way to have dominion over these yeah, animals. Yes. God. First of all, God told them clearly in the text that you're going to have dominion over the animals. He didn't have to show it. But this is a good point. God showed them, and actually, when they sinned they lost the dominion. You see, when you sin, you lose. What is happening? How did they have the dominion over the animals? Because they, had, they were a reflection of God. Their face was a reflection of God. And animals are afraid of God, human beings too. The moment they sin, that they lose, they, uh, when you sin, you put like a, a, a partition between you and your reflection, you understand? Your reflection, you, uh, let's think you're a mirror. The mirror is losing your sharpness that you're not as much as of a reflection of God. The less of a reflection of God I am, the less, uh, the less people, are, the less animals are afraid of me. It's written that very righteous people, animals are afraid of them because they are a reflection of God. And does it say that they were vegetarian? What, what? I didn't hear you. Margaret? They were vegetarian? They were vegetarian for 1,500 years. Until the story of the flood, until the story of Noah, human beings were vegetarian. Now I see God, Margaret starts to love Adam and Eve much more. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm questioning. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, yeah, they were vegetarian. What happened is after the flood, people became weaker and they needed their protein. They needed their, their meat. That's why. That's one explanation. Another explanation is because when people could not eat meat, they became cannibals. They ate other people. And God says, you know what? Eat people of eat meat of animals instead of eating people of other people. But uh, yeah, they were um, vegetarian. Then here we see that God gave them a chance. God helped the sinners, even when they were sinners. God took care of them. And here's the the Margaret. You can read the, the next source. Mm -hmm. And Rabbi Mama, son of Rabbi. Amina says, what is the meaning of the verse, walk after the Lord your God? Is it possible to follow the divine presence? Doesn't the verse say the Lord your God is devouring, is a devouring fire? Rather, one should follow God's example, just as he clothes the naked, as it is written, God made leather garments for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them, so too should you clothe the naked. 
Okay, what we, what we read, we just read now is like this. Um, he says, the Talmud says, it's written a verse in the Bible, you should follow God, you should, uh, uh, you should go walk after God. Then the Talmud is asking, can you walk after, after God? God is like, it's written in the Bible, God is like a fire. What do you mean you walk after God? How can you walk after the Shekhinah? Then the Talmud answers, don't mean you should walk after God. Walk after God's behaviors, after his character, after his example. Follow God's example. How God is dressing the, 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 the naked, you should dress the naked. The Talmud goes on. God was dressing the naked when Adam and Eve, and we should dress the naked. God was feeding the, God was visiting the sick. It's written that God was visiting Abraham after the circumcision. We should visit the sick. God is burying the dead. God buried Moses. We should bury the dead. We should follow God's example. Then we'll see here that God was very nice to Adam and Eve even after his sin. That's what the Rebbe points out that Joseph learned that from God himself. Okay, um, Shell Fox, you want to read? The answer can be found. Yes, I just have to get it bigger. The answer can be found in the teaching of our sages, the righteous, the righteous resemble the creator. We find that God himself conducted himself in the exact same manner. In the Torah portion of Breshit, we show how God made leather garments for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Our sages note that the Torah practically begins by telling us about God's act of kindness and explains that we must follow God's lead. Just as he clothes the naked, you should clothe the naked. You should clothe the naked because a person should always seek to emulate God's behavior. Yeah. Now Bereshit now describes Adam's life in the Garden of Eden, both before the sin of the tree of knowledge and afterwards before he was expelled as the Torah relates later on. Notably, Adam lived in the Garden of Eden, not sorry, in the Garden of Eden, not only before the sin, but after the, even after the sin of partaking of the forbidden fruit. God speaks of banishing him only later on and only later carries out his decision. Then we see, we see that God allowed Adam and Eve to be in the Garden of Eden, even after the sin. Um, uh, Marlene Klein, you want to continue? Yes. Um, this is a, this is oh okay. It it, mm-hmm. it is surprising that he wasn't immediately expelled. It would have seemed appropriate had he been chased out of the garden as an immediate consequence for partaking of the forbidden fruit. This is an important point. Adam transgressed God's will and the world's spiritual state severely deteriorated. However, God didn't punish him immediately. Instead, he waited, keeping Adam in the garden where he was surrounded by the greatest luxuries the world had to offer. The luxuries that we see as reward were just commonplace realities for Adam in the garden. Then God began a conversation with him, where are you? So that he could catch himself and bring himself to repent. Moreover, God made them clothing, and dress them, which was the first step in helping them correct in the mistake of the sin. Think about it. Despite the terrible sin he just committed, especially taken into account that he was God's personal handiwork, that he was living in the Garden of Eden, and that if he would only contain himself for three hours, he would be permitted to eat of the fruit. Nonetheless, God did an act of kindness. 
he addressed the very individual who had just created the potential of sinning for eternity. Yeah, it means to say, we see from God, even it was the, the person who just ruined everything for everyone, God wasn't angry with them. God didn't, well, didn't take revenge on them, didn't punish them. He, he, he threw them from the Garden of Eden, but he took care of them. And he gave them a chance to, to repent. He gave them a chance to, to, to fix it. And Can I... Yeah, am, I, am I allowed to say something about this? So, so the, the, the history of the Jews, it's, you know, you, you read it and it's, it, you can identify with all of it. But to me, this part is kind of hokey. Does that, it, am I allowed to say that? It just kind of doesn't saying. fit. Why? It just, I don't know. It just seems so odd. You know, they, they're, they eat a, from a tree of knowledge and then they, um, they sin and then they don't have clothes on. I mean, it just seems so unrealistic. And the rest of the story is just so realistic. Why, why the beginning is unrealistic? I'm not sure. I don't, it's, to me, it's, it, it, it's kind of hokey. And, and I, I shouldn't say that, but that's how I feel about listen, it. Listen, because I don't know what <laughs> hockey means, then you can say it five times. What is hockey exactly? What do you mean with it? It's like, it's like a non sequitur. Like it kind of doesn't fit with the, the whole I don't know. It's it's okay. it's it's not like a like a believable part of the story. The rest of it is the history, and you can relate to it. And you can understand it. And this kind, you kind of have to step out okay. and okay. imagine. Let, let's, it. No, no. Let's start from the beginning. God created Adam and Eve. The two first two people. Right. He gave them an opportunity to obey. He gave them a test. They're going to listen to him or not. The test was very easy. He told them for three hours. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge. Three hours. That's it. That's what the Rashi says. The message says it. The Talmud says everywhere. You can eat from any other tree. The human being could not control himself for three hours. And he sinned. What is this telling us about us? Isn't this the truth about us? Tell your child, you can eat the ice cream in three hours. After the meal, not before the meal. She's going crazy, right? Right. That's human being. What is, what is the whole idea? It's all about self-control. There is a law in Jewish law that after you eat meat, you cannot eat dairy for six hours. My kids don't eat meat for weeks because they might not be able to eat ice cream. Then they never eat, it's a whole, it's almost in the, in the religious world for young people to eat meat is almost a tragedy. If by mistake they eat meat, the world is coming to an end. Oh, because of this. And they start to, it's a countdown. When they will be able to eat, uh, dairy again, like like the world is coming to an end. Six hours, here it was less, three hours, Adam and Eve, the first human being that God created. What does it show? It shows, so actually, it's not okay at all, I think, if now I understand what okay means, it's not, it's not okay, it's not at all. It shows who we are, that we cannot control ourselves for a minute. Ask every man how much he cannot control himself, and you'll understand what, what we are talking about. Women are not so real, uh, um, can, can relate to it so much. Julie, what do you want to say? Yeah, but it's also it was a sort of a test that if God had said, just eat from anything you want in the garden, they probably wouldn't even walk towards or notice the tree of knowledge. But the fact that he pointed it out to them and said, you can eat anything but this tree, it's like having a craving. It's like that's all they were focused on. And so they did it. You're right. And that's that, what it's all about. If, if they tell you, you can, you can eat everything, just don't eat chocolate. You can, just don't smoke. Just don't drink. That's what life is all about. Self-control. 
God wanted to test the self-control of a human being. He failed the test. It's very realistic. That's what we are all about. And that's how the universe starts to tell us, you see, why God tested them with food? Why God didn't tell them, don't go somewhere or don't wear something? Because a person can survive without wearing clothing. He can survive without getting married. He cannot survive without eating. That's why God tests them with eat food. And one end, you see monks, they run away to the caves, they don't get married, they don't wear any expensive clothing, and life is good. They don't deal with the temptations. God says, you cannot, we, cannot, we, we don't want monks, we want people who are in the world. Food, you cannot, you cannot avoid it, you have to eat. And there is the, the control is poor, it was tested, God tested them. You can eat this and not eat this. Can you control yourself or not? And the lesson to all of humanity is there is things that you, we don't ask you to run away to, to a shiva in Jerusalem and lock yourself up and be a, a run away from temptation. Live in your life, continue your job, continue your, your life, day-to-day life, and within your life, control yourself. That's what the, the biggest challenge is all about. It's much easier to be a yeshiva student than to learn in college and be Jewish and be religious. Much easier to be a yeshiva student because everything around you helps you. It's, a, it's a, everything, there's no temptations, no, no challenges, no nothing. To be in a, in a college and to keep kosher and to keep Shabbos, and to, that's much, much harder by far. And Question. this is a big challenge, go ahead. So after they ate from the tree of knowledge, did they have the whole knowledge of God's existence and the holiness of him? I don't know how much they had, they had the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't know that evil, that nakedness is bad. They didn't know that there is such a thing as bad. Like a little child who doesn't know that it's evil. The first time when a little child discovers this kind of things, he's like, whoa, he's shocked. So we can't really say anything bad about Adam because there was no knowledge of the complete even, of a complete human being, you know, a, a, even though he looks like an adult. Yeah, we are not, the, as you'll see in a minute, we're not in the business of of bashing Adam. We are in the business of pointing out that God had Rahmonas of him even after he sinned. Not because when you meet a sinner, you don't throw him out of the shore. You, you help him and you dress him and you take care of him. That's the message really. And that's why Joseph, when he, uh, he looked on the, on, the, on, the, on the clergy in Egypt, even the were idol worshippers, it says as people, you have to help him because eventually they can turn around. Even if they don't turn around, they're human beings, they have to take care of them. Even if they're, if they're selling the wrong, even they're misleading the rest of the world to idols that it's not true and not anything. Okay, um, um, who's supposed to read? In uh, August, you want to read the next one? Sure. The Rebbe paused for a moment and commented, we shouldn't talk negatively about Adam. In fact, there's an argument whether Moshiach will be greater than him or not. It's written in the Talmud that oh. there is all this question if Moshiach will be as great as Adam, Adam and Eve, as great as Adam, or more than Adam, or less than Adam. Obviously, Adam was a very special, great man. But we talk about the lesson, continue, the point, the point is. The point is, although punishment is a direct outcome of sin, and therefore seemingly it should follow the sin immediately, nevertheless, God waits and gives an opening for repentance because the individual might repent in a manner which not only uproots the sin altogether, but even transforms the sin into a merit. And then 
Not only will he be banished from the Garden of Eden, his garden will be enhanced. If he will do tshuva. I have a question. Yeah. It talked about how, though, um, basically sinned for all eternity. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the concept of original sin, and I thought we don't believe in that. In what we don't, what that, we that was my point. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, the the concept of original sin in Christianity is, is that you know babies are born sin are, the soul is born as a sinner. I don't think we. I didn't think that was part no, of. No, our... no, 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 no. Okay. The, the the first of all, there is a verse in the Bible that says, I don't know exactly how to translate it. A man is born selfish, not a sinner, selfish, number one. Then we don't look at children. Children are very good and sweet and innocent, but they are selfish. A baby is born with hand closed. Everything is me, 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 right? Everything, what, what do you teach the first thing in preschool? That I have now been, Miriam, Miriam is, is sometimes treating like a preschool child. It's all about teaching the kids how to share, how to let another kid, how to give somebody else. Children are born selfish. They are not born sinners, no. First of all, Marlene, next time be a little more clear. I didn't know where you're going with this. Um, <laughs> but see, children, I don't say the children are born evil. We don't say it, no. But children are born, they're not also so righteous. They're born selfish. And what is education all about? We educate them to be good people. We have to educate them. You let, let a child to be by himself, he's not going to become a, a righteous man without education. The Torah is all about educating ourselves, educating our children. The most important job that the Judaism has is the Shinantam Levanecha, you should teach your children. What is your job in life? And is to teach to educate your children to be good human beings. They're not born righteous people. They're not yeah. evil or not born righteous. They're born good people. It's they're born not in one way or another. We can make from them what we want. But they are born, the nature of a human being is selfish. Why get created selfish, a person selfish? Because he has to take care of himself. He will not be selfish, he will die from hunger. He needs to be selfish. But you have to teach him not to be completely selfish. The job in life is from selfish to become less and less selfish. Think about that. A baby is very selfish. He gets a little older, he learns to share. Then he learns to share with his brother, his room. If he, if he, if he shares a room. Today's world, nobody has to share a room. And then, and then when he gets married, he has to share a room. Now he has no choice. And today they have a choice. They sleep in different rooms. But in the good old days when people slept in the same room, <laughs> they, they have to share a room. And then when you have children, your life is about not about yourself, it's about your children. And you have grandchildren, your life is about your grandchildren. The older you get, it's less about you, it's more about others. But this is a journey. Then we, well, we don't say a, a person is born evil, no. But you don't say that a person is righteous. Then we don't, I don't know what the Christian's idea about, it was uh, the original sin. But he made, he brought the concept of sin, not only the concept of sin, the concept of death to the world, Adam and Eve. But still, God treated them nicely. That's what it is. That's what we learn here. But yeah, we are, we are not perfect. We are not born perfect. We are not born bad, but we are, not, we are born selfish. Nothing wrong with okay. A child, and by the way, I want to, it's an important point. 
children are not perfect. That's what we are busy in preschool every day. That's all busy with, with you, you teach the kid, please and thank you. Why you have to teach him? He's so innocent, he's so great. Why you teach him? He's not innocent and he's not great. He's selfish. We have to make him a match. Yeah. And therefore in the religious world, we don't feed children first and we don't dance around around the kids. They should dance around us. Now they should dance around them. They have to learn from the adult something. The adult have nothing to learn from the children. It's not everybody's stuff. A kid has something to say. Everybody's quiet. Ten adults. Oh, what is it? Everybody starts a conversation. What's this? Picture the two-year-old, the child has something to say. He has nothing to say. He should better listen. He has to learn a lot from the adults. The adults have nothing to learn from them. Nothing. Maybe sometimes if a, if a child can point out to the adult that he's evil or he's bad. But in general, they have a lot to learn from the adult. We, and our job is the number one job is to make him into a good human being, not to assume that they are perfect human beings, God forbid. They are good kids, but they are selfish, and we have to educate them to be good people. Okay, now, um, now we'll go to the next part. Um, Karen, we are back to you. Just laughing, because in South Africa, we were taught as children. Children are to be seen, but not to be heard. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that if you say it in America, you'll be arrested for just for saying such a thing. <laughs> but uh, I mean, we don't have to go to extremes, but the point is we, our job is to make from the kids good, good human beings. Absolutely. This occurrence described in the Torah portion of Bereshit taught Joseph that regardless of a person's moral or spiritual state, there is always reason to have patience and await a transformation. And this served as a guide for his behavior in Egypt. Mm -hmm. Even the the pharaoh the greatest symbol of egypt's depravity you never know what could become of them proof of the matter can be brought from jethro who served as a minister to pharaoh and as a midianite priest and he was ultimately the source of an entirely new torah portion his hebrew name yitro means addition representing his addition to the torah of moses this reflects the talmud's teaching that penitence uh, Penitents have an advantage over those who were born righteous. Okay. Here it says that we see among the priests of Egypt, eventually was a guy with the name Jethro. We all know about him, right? Jethro was, well, he, is called, he has a parish in the Torah named after him. His son-in-law was Moses. His other son-in-law was Elazar, the son of Aaron. And he, 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 pro, he produced the greatest people of the Jewish people. Came out from Jethro's family then we see that a priest, an Egyptian priest, an idol worshiper can turn around. Itro was the first one to say the word that we all know, Baruch Hashem. The first one in the ever in history to say the word Baruch Hashem was Itro. Not the Jews, not the rabbis, not all the Hoshiba people, the Supreme Court judges, Jethro, the Gentile, the priest of, the priest of Midian. Rabbi, I thought it yeah. was Joseph. I thought we learned. Joseph, that praise God. Praise God. But the word, the expression, literally the expression, Baruch Hashem, said Jethro. Joseph said constantly, it's from God. It's because of God. He mentioned God's name constantly. He was the first one to mention in such a place. Even he was in Egypt. He was the only Hebrew. He mentioned God's name. This is very true. But the phrase Baruch Hashem, blessed is God, said the, was the first one to say Jethro. 
then we see it, we see that what they say here, that even from an Egyptian for idol worshiper can come out the greatest. That's a lesson that Joseph learned from God himself, how he treated Adam to know how to treat the priest of Jet, the priest of Egypt. And therefore he gave him a special portion. He treated them better than regular people. Not only because they are the, were the worst, he treated them better because he learned it from, from God, how you have to treat a sinner, so to speak. Okay, um, Norma, you want to continue? This is also. This is also the meaning of Joseph's blessing. His land shall be blessed by God with the sweetness of the heavens dew, with the waters that lie below, and with the waters that lie below. Joseph's task is to bring blessing even into the lowest spiritual depths, even to the priests of Egypt, because even they can become holy. This is the power of Joseph, about whom it is written. The generous man is blessed, for he gives his bread to the poor. Then that's what Joseph did. He took care of the of the of the walls of the walls. Okay, Julie, you want to continue? As in every Torah matter, this story has an eternal lesson. The story of Joseph is relevant not only to Joseph in his day, but also to every single person in every place and in every generation, including Simchas Torah, nineteen sixty four in Brooklyn. Well, the talk was given in nineteen sixty four in Brooklyn. Go ahead. Some people do not have the patience to deal with others. I did everything that was within my power, they say, but didn't manage to make a major impact on the state of Judaism. It would be better if I focus on my spiritual growth. Either the way- was speaking, The Rebbe was speaking to people. The Rebbe was very, that year was very, in these years, was encouraging people to go to do outreach, reach out to other Jews. And many people were saying, well, I'm going to run around in, uh, in China or in Alaska to look for a Jew who is lost, who doesn't even want to know anything. I, I, I tried my best. I learned. I'll, I'll take care of myself. Continue. Um, either way, they claim our sages declared that one's own life comes first. This is true even concerning people who are considered your spiritual equal. How much more so regarding people who are considered more creations, as the Alter Rebbe points out in Tanya chapter 32, meaning that their only redeeming quality is that God created them. I mean, Today's let's say, let's say what should, why should I run around after people, let's say, are in jail and look, just in jail, look for them to do them favors. They're the only good thing about them, they are created by God. I don't find any redeeming quality about them. And let me say, they want to continue today. Today's Torah reading reaches us and empowers us, beginning from the Torah portion of, of Mitzot Habracha with Joseph's blessing, his tolerance and kindness, and continuing with the Torah portion of Bereshis, which speaks of God's benevolence. When we encounter someone who needs assistance in whatever which way, we must put everything aside and make a difference. Then we have to, the Rebbe basically, the lesson was, you cannot say, it's not my problem. God was dealing with, with Adam who was a sinner. Joseph was dealing with sinners. We have to deal with others, be kind to them loving, embracing, because that's the only way to bring them around. And if we are not greater and not more busy than Joseph. And I forgot, I didn't even, the only person I didn't have a chance to read is uh, my daughter Mushki, then we'll give we'll honor her now to read this one. Um, it's source number uh, six, it's something very interesting. Source number six comes from the Aftorah of Yom Kippur. You know, we know the Aftorah of Yom Kippur that we know is the Aftorah of Jonah. But this is the Torah and the Mincha of Yom Kippur, the story of Jonah. In the morning of Torah of Yom Kippur is a very socialist Torah. 
It's about taking care of the poor and this. And I know I have a socialist in our shul. He loves the after of Yom Kippur in the morning as taking care of the people and, and feeding the poor and dressing the naked. And it's beautiful. But you sometimes you wonder why it's being said on Yom Kippur. But on one hand, the lesson is that Yom Kippur, people come to do tshuva. It's not only about praying, it's about taking care of others. But here the Rebbe takes the same concept and put, and that's what Hasidus is all about. Taking every verse in the Bible, translating it into a spiritual message. Every, many verses were completely not, uh, this is relevant, but even verses are not relevant, how it means to me in my spiritual journey to God. Okay, first to we'll read the verse from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, 7. Go ahead. Share your bread with the hungry and take the wretched poor into your home. When you see the naked, clothe him and do not ignore your own flesh. Okay, simple it is. Share your bread with, with the hungry person and very poor people should bring to your house. When you see somebody naked, dress him. And from your own king, from your own people, from your own flesh, do not ignore your own family, so to speak. That's literally the verse. Now, the, the, the Rebbe is, right, is taking this verse as an answer to somebody who asked him a question. Continue. In your letter, you request specific instructions. Our sages have given us a general directive in their commentary on the verse in Isaiah 57, which states, Share your bread with the hungry and take the wretched poor into your home when you see the naked clothe him. They explain that this refers to a person well, one who... Second, one second, one second. It says, you are, this guy was looking for... Give me orders how to live my life as a Jewish person. Rebbe told them there is a verse in Isaiah, and here is how the rabbis teach us what it means. They explain it. They explain that. Go ahead. This refers to a person who is naked of mitzvot, hungry for Torah, and who lacks the shelter of a house of prayer. Obviously, if he doesn't realize that he is lacking, he is even poorer. Okay, let's stop right here. What is he saying here? You know, we mentioned it a few times. The Torah and mitzvot. Um, the, 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 the Torah is compared to food, to bread. Why is the Torah compared to bread? Just like you know, you can't, you're walking away from the class and you remember it. You can repeat it. It's something about a part of you, just like food, I eat it. It becomes a part of me. Mitzvah is compared to clothing. Why? Clothing is a wear my suit. It's on me. I take it off. It's not on me. Clothing, mitzvahs, I put on that film, it's on me. I take off that film, it's on me. The moment I engage in lighting the candles Friday night, it's a part of me. The minute later, it's over. Then mitzvahs is compared to clothing, Torah is compared to food. Now, now we'll see how, what, what the verse says. The verse says, you, you, uh, you see a hungry person, give him a little bit of bread. You see somebody who is hungry to learn Torah. He starved, he starved from Torah. He never learned anything. Give him bread. You see somebody who is naked for mitzvah. He's not dressed. He never did a mitzvah in his life. Dress him up. Give him a mitzvah. Teach him a mitzvah how to do. If you see somebody who has no home, which home are we talking about? The home of prayer, a synagogue. It doesn't have the home of the Jewish people. It's not a part of the bigger home of the Jewish people. That's a synagogue, the house of prayers. Bring him into a house of prayers. Teach him how to pray. And then, and the Rebbe points out in parentheses, obviously there is many people don't even know they're hungry and they are naked, you know? And many people run around and they have anorexia. They don't know that they're hungry. There are many people 
don't, don't think they have to be dressed. They run around naked and are happy about it. That if you don't know spiritually that he's hungry, if he does know spiritually that he's naked, it's a bigger Achmones of him. We are obviously how much more we have to take care of him. And then finish the last line. And the verse concludes. I don't hear you, Moshki. And the verse concludes, do not ignore your own flesh either. This is a lesson of a lifetime in one verse. What means do not ignore your own flesh either? Take care of your own spiritual sense. You know, sometimes people are busy with saving the whole world and forget about their own family. Don't forget about your own family. There is enough place of the, in the day to help others dress the naked for mitzvahs. Every one of us can share a mitzvah with another Jew. Teach Torah to people who are hungry. The rabbis to say always, you know Aleph, teach Aleph. You know base, teach base. Don't wait until you know the old Torah and then teach it. You'll never know everything. Whatever you know, you share with, we share with others. We can feed the hungry spiritually. We can dress the naked spiritually. We can bring him into a home of prayers. And don't forget about yourself. That's in one verse, the whole story. And that's a lesson that we learned from Joseph. Joseph was feeding his family, but also feeding the very, the, 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 and the priest of Egypt physically. And the lesson is we can, we can even a priest of Egypt, we can feed them spiritually too. We have to reach out to him, bring him closer. Basically, there is nobody who is below, beneath my honor. Hey, I'm not going to talk to him. I'm not going, it's not good enough for me. What a waste of time. Nobody's a waste of time. You can talk to a person a hundred times, the Talmud says, until you reach out to him, even a hundred times. And you and you go and try again and again and again and again. If it would be your child, you never would give up. That's how we have to treat every human being. That's really the lesson from this talk. Anybody has questions or comments? Open, it's open floor now. You should all hear only good news from England, from everybody else, everywhere else. The vaccine should work, and we should have we should have a good year of 2021 at least. Amen. Amen. Thank well, you. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Sure. Thank you.